Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I am David O'Gray and I am talking Catholic with the super beautiful, the super smart, Miss Christine Niles, who I'm sure you're familiar with, with her work over at Church Militant, the news headlines, the program to download, and several other things that she's doing over there. Most recently, she did an expose on the Society of St. Pius X. We'll be talking about that. Um, we'll be talking about her reversion back to the Catholic Church. We'll be talking about the state of the Catholic Church in the world today. And a num um, number of other topics, which I'm sure you're, you're, you're going to enjoy. And we'll begin right after this eight-second introduction to Talking Catholic. In eight seconds, it's just enough time for you to click like, subscribe, and share. If you're listening to the podcast version on whatever platform you're listening to, please make sure you rate and subscribe there. And if you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that bell right there so you'll be notified of upcoming shows. And we'll begin right after this eight-second induction again, and I will see you on the other side. Miss Christine Niles, welcome on to Talking Catholic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Now, Kristen, you're you're a familiar face to many Catholics, um, thanks to your work with Church Militant. Um, and as far as the free content goes, I think we see you almost every day, at least during the news headlines and oftentimes on a download program. Uh, and I have to be honest, that's how I start my day. You know, I walk the dog, I wake up and I pray. And then I walk the dog and while I'm feeding the dog, you know, I'm eating breakfast, feeding myself. And the first thing I do is I, I turn on the news headlines and see what's going on. <laughs> and that's how I find out what's going on in the world. And um, it's also how I find out what day of the week it is. Because <laughs> you always start the program <laughs> with a time set. Like, oh, it's May 1st. That's great. <laughs> but um, now you were actually born in Saigon, Vietnam in um, 1974. Tell us a little bit about your, your faith journey. In, in, um... Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I was born in 74, which was the year right before the communists took over Saigon. I was born in Saigon. That's where my parents met. And um, it was very, for, I, I don't really remember the time because I was so young, but it was a very difficult time for my family because I came from a very well-off family at the time. My father was honorary chairman of the bank. He was a very um, respected structural engineer in Saigon. My mother, um, her her mother had owned a jewelry business, and so my family was very well off. The communists come into Saigon in 1975, and they do what communists do. They took everything we had, um, ostensibly to, I guess, distribute it and share the wealth, but really they just kept it for themselves. And right. it was in 1976 that my father realized that we just had no future in Vietnam anymore. Many of our relatives were leaving. You know, um, I don't know if people know very much about that time in, in Vietnamese history, but I think between one to two million people actually fled Saigon after wow. the communist, you know, and took over. And so life became extremely difficult for us. And my father made the very difficult decision to take his family. And at the time he had a wife and three very young children mm -hmm. and to go to France. Now we were very blessed. We were very fortunate in that we were actually able to get on a plane and leave for France. But the only reason we were able to do that is because my, my grandfather was a colonel in the French army. And so his French citizenship oh. actually passed down through my mother, each of us children. It was because of that French citizenship that we were allowed to leave Vietnam because, you know, 
with Vietnam, Vietnam used to be um, a, a colony of the French. The French used to occupy Vietnam. And so because of that French citizenship, we were allowed to get on a plane by the Vietnamese government and just leave for France. The rest of my relatives, unfortunately, became refugees, you know, boat people. Uh, many of them had horrible, horrible experiences trying to escape the Vietnamese. A lot of suffering that fortunately our family was spared. But um, yeah. still, it was very difficult in France. We spent a couple, maybe two to three years there. And so my father went from being chairman of a bank and a respected civil engineer, structural engineer in Vietnam, to yeah. driving taxis in France. Wow. And it was just really difficult. He was just trying to do whatever he could to yeah. support family and friends. And we were living in government housing, so we were all cramped into this little apartment. And then um, a friend of his told him, you know, you should try to go to America. This is sort of the land of opportunity. You know, there are lots of opportunities there. You should go there. And he didn't know anyone in America and he could barely speak any English, you know, and then he had a wife and three very young kids and what was he going to do? But yeah. through the generosity of a practical stranger, his name was Mike Ambrose. He had his own engineering firm. He took my father in. He kind of showed him the ropes for six months. Yeah. And my dad... He could barely speak any English, so he really could. He was kind of useless in the office for six months. Kind <laughs> man paid him a salary for six months, trained him up until my dad was finally able to sort of start his own civil engineering firm. Wow. He became successful. He was able to put three kids through college, and and now you know they've retired. They live in a beautiful home in Florida, and God has been really good to us. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Now, were you were you born Catholic? Were you born into the faith? I did come from a Catholic family, um, but I would say that it was culturally Catholic. The faith, unfortunately, was not practiced consistently in my home. It was treated more as a cultural sort of thing because we're Vietnamese there and we just do this sort of thing. So yeah. we would go to mass on occasion, um, but it was treated more as a social event where you could kind of chat with your friends, you know, um, okay. and the, the homilies were in Vietnamese. And you know, I left Vietnam when I was so young, I just didn't speak the language very well. And so whenever I would hear it, I didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't understand what the priest was saying. He, okay. he might have been saying very good things, but I didn't understand. And I didn't see it practiced in the home. I was never taught how to really pray or anything. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, I just, it didn't mean anything to me, you know, growing up. And so I actually, I eventually left the church when I was about oh. 16 because okay. I went to Protestant Bible study. I grew up in Florida near the about 10, 15 minutes from the beach. So I was kind of a surfer girl. <laughs> I, was, okay. I was in the surfing scene, surfing, skateboarding. And my friend, a fellow surfer said, Hey, there's a surfer's Bible study. You should come. And I thought, you know, well, you know, I get to hang out with other surfers. I get free food. Why not? <laughs> so <laughs> I was about 16 and it was the first time I ever heard the gospel. First time I ever heard anything about oh. our Lord coming to save us, how much he loved us. And I was very compelled by that. I was very yeah. drawn to it. My, my heart was burning for this. Yeah. Wow. And so he did one of those, like, um, not altar calls, but, you know, at the end of the Bible. So I think mm -hmm. I went to three or four. At the end, the, the guy who led it said, so would anybody like to accept Jesus into your heart? And me being, you know, 16 or whatever, and really wanting this, I said, yes, you know, I want to. And so I said the sinner's prayer. Um, I invited the Holy Spirit into my heart. And I can tell you that there really was a change because God 
God responds to anyone of goodwill. You know, right. he responds to anyone of goodwill. And at right. the time I truly wanted our Lord. I really wanted. And so there was a change in my heart because I, I asked our Lord, please come into my heart. I, I want, I want to know you. I want to love you. Now, now what, was that? Time, uh-huh. what was that? You say you really wanted to the Lord. Where was that? Where did that desire come from? Was that heretofore while you were a Catholic? Was there that desire then? Or was it when you heard the gospel for the first time? It was really, well, it comes from grace. I mean, I don't know where it comes uh, from, but, yeah. no, but it was the first time I'd really heard it, heard the word spoken to me, you know, like explained to me. This okay. is why he, he came into the, into the world to die for your sins because he, of his incredible love. I'd never heard it laid out like that before. Um, yeah. And again, I, I can't blame the Catholic priest because it was in Vietnamese. I didn't understand. Um, so, um, yeah. And so, um, unfortunately, I made the mistake of thinking that because here's where I heard the gospel. Therefore, mm-hmm. Protestantism be true. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. I must Catholic faith and become a Protestant. And that's what I did. That's where I made the mistake. I didn't know. Um, yeah. So I kind of was wandering in the... Um, protestant world for about 11 years going from one denomination to another to another which is very common among protestants yeah. and we came back to the faith um in my final year at notre dame law school what what couldn't you find in the protestant church why were you hopping from one denomination to the next what were you in search of um i had a very strong um intellectual bent you know i studied philosophy in undergraduate and so um one of the strains of Protestantism that tends to be extremely intellectual, sort of intellectually rigorous, is Calvinism, um, and so I was very drawn to that. You know, in addition, uh, okay. to love, I had a genuine love for our Lord. It wasn't just intellectual, but I had I also had a strong intellectual thirst, a desire for, you know, hardcore theology, and I found yeah. that in Calvinism. Five point Calvinism. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, tulip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, then after a while, that became a little dissatisfying to me, and I, I changed my theological opinions about certain things. So then I went over to, um, you know, uh, Lutheranism, and then I did a little a brief stint in Charismatic movement, and then, you know, I mean, it just ha- when you change your theology, you can kind of leave one part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now you were at you were at Notre Dame, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what type of, now, the Catholicism that you found on campus, did that reinforce some of the, your notions about what you thought about Catholicism and Catholics? Actually, so I was at, we, we hear a lot of stories about Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, how awful the Catholicism is there. And I would say that in the wider campus, that can, that can be true. I mean, there are little okay. pockets of faithful Catholics, but, you know, there's a lot of unfaithful uh, Catholics, including faculty there and administration. But in the yeah. law school itself, at least the years that I was there, it was pretty solid. You know, we had um, a really good batch of Catholic professors who were very devout and um, were a wonderful example for me. And when you're in law school, law school is very intense. It's three years of a very intense study. You were there all the time. There were times I spent the night at the law school because I was studying for this or that exam. And so you're with the same people all the time. And... It was the first time in my life that I'd actually seen faithful Catholics living their lives as faithful Catholics should live their lives. It was quite oh. powerful. I mean, day in, day out for three years, seeing them live their lives, you know, um, yeah. having, having debates about the Catholic faith with other people. And, um, you know, just they just walk the walk. 
And it had an impact on me just seeing the way these people were living. It was a witness for me. Plus they were praying for me as well. I know they're praying for me. And so, yes. yeah. And so finally, in the last, so I, I, just as a message to people out there, Catholics out there, don't ever underestimate the power of your witness to other people. Cause you know what? People are watching you. Even if you don't know that they're watching you, they are, and they're yeah. seeing the way you live and it has an impact. So it did on me, but yeah, um, yeah I, we came back to the faith. Uh, there was also a wonderful Franciscan priest there who helped me a lot. Wow. And I, I very first confession ever um, on the first Monday in Lent of 2003 when I was, I think I was 28 years old. And it was just incredible experience. I mean, it's just, it, it felt like the world had been lifted off my shoulders yeah. after I walked. Yeah. I felt yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I always hear those stories about the first confession. That happened to me as well. I just felt like a um, a monkey just jumped off my back. More like an ape, because yeah. it was heavier than like a little monkey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just jumped off. That, that's that's amazing. Um, now, back up a little bit. Um, Vietnam. Here at the four, before communism, it was a, a predominantly Catholic country? or Yeah, you know, the history of Vietnam is very interesting. They've, they've been through centuries and centuries of persecution. We, there were some Jesuit missionaries who came there in the 16th century and first started spreading the faith. And it, it started to take, but there have always been bloody persecutions. Now, at the turn of the century, the 20th century, was probably the best time for Catholicism. Because at that time, France had, had you know, occupied Vietnam. The Catholic Church was given favored status. And so the government protected the Catholic Church. And so you had hundreds of thousands of conversions to the Catholic faith during that time. It was just flourishing, it was spreading, wonderful. And then of course, and I believe it was in 1956 that the president of Vietnam actually consecrated Vietnam to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so it was a pretty sizable portion of the population that was Catholic. Of course, the communists come in and they destroyed all of that. I mean, they just utter persecution. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, it is a tiny fraction of the Vietnamese population now, the Catholic faith, and they're still persecuted. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Wherever, 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 wherever communism spreads, that's the first thing they, they attack is a Catholic church. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. Um, so you graduate from from law school, um, but you don't get to church military. We don't see you there until like after 2013. What are you doing in between that time? Right, so I came to church Millet in 2014. I graduated from law school, what, what, I think that was in 2003. So I actually spent a couple years working for the Supreme Court of Indiana. I did oh. a couple, you know, I did a couple years as a judicial law clerk for one of the Supreme Court justices in Indiana. Um, and I, I'm actually very proud of this because the very last case that I worked on that I ended my sort of judicial clerkship career on was the biggest abortion case in Indiana. Um, oh. The very big, and, and, and <laughs> I don't want to get into all the details, but I'll just say this. There's a huge split among the justices as to are we going to adopt the whole Roe v. Wade model and uh -huh. read a constitutional right into, uh, uh, into the Indiana Constitution for abortion or not? Because they hadn't, haven't done that yet. Mm. And so there was a big kind of split, even split. Yeah. My justice was a liberal African-American Democrat pro-abortion, okay? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, but he didn't want to get involved. He didn't want to get involved. The whole, he was like, this is too hot button. He's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I sat down, I wrote a legal opinion, mm -hmm. you know, based on law and everything that gave him the ability to just sort of say, we don't need to, 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 to get involved in this discussion. Um, 
you know, there, there was some legal technicality that sort of kicked it back so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. And that was the best possible compromise at the time because it was either uh, go completely full Roe v. Wade or not at all. And yeah. so we so sort of signed on to this compromise and it just, it avoided the whole thing altogether. And that was the right. last case that I, that was, to me, it was a victory at the time. Anyway, right. Right. <laughs> that's, that's <a> <laughs> I did that for a couple of years and then I was a stay-at-home mom. I am. Um, I taught law online for a while. I was a copy editor online for a while. Um, and then I, what's really funny is um, Michael Voris actually first came to my attention in 2000, I think it was 2008. Okay. Um, I started doing these um, emails about the Vortex. This is when it first started. Yeah. And, and someone had sent it. I, I didn't ask for them. So they just started popping up. And I remember clicking on one and I watched about 30 seconds of it. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> Another political conservative talking head with nothing interesting to say and I shut it off <laughs> and I, it was so and I kept getting these emails for the vortex and I got really ticked off and so I wrote back I wrote it was at the time called realcatholictv.com so okay. I wrote to the person oh, yeah. there and I said yeah, and I said you know what I don't know how you guys got my email but stop sending me these vortex episodes I am not interested <laughs> And um, so that's that was my introduction to Michael Boris. I wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> so that is so funny. It is, yeah. People don't know that. But my opinion actually changed a few years later when um, you know, he's been attacked quite a bit online. He's been attacked by lots of different people, unfairly attacked. Yeah. And I remember there was one blogger who was attacking him for a certain video. And I remember going to watch the video. This maybe it was in 2011. And I, I kind of watched the video and I was like, you know what? Everything this guy Boris is saying is correct. I agree with him here. I don't understand why people are attacking him. So mm -hmm. I went to defend him and I just started watching him more and more. I'm like, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense. And so I just watched him more. But what's really funny is he always came across to me as so grumpy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I remember, I remember kind of secretly thinking to myself, I didn't know anything about his personal life. I thought he was married. So I was thinking yeah. to myself, you know, I like what he says, but man, he's he's so grouchy. I feel sorry for his wife. So I feel sorry for what his wife has to deal with every day. He must be such a grouch at home. <laughs> Which is not true at all. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. He's hilarious. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. That's funny. He, he's nothing like the Vortex in person. I mean, yeah. obviously, he means what he says in the Vortex. I mean, he's, you know, yeah. he's all, he's business there, but. Yeah, but you know, yeah, I, I, I always thought he had a sissy humor just because some of the things that he says are just so sarcastic and snarky. It's like he's probably pretty funny, but <laughs> but like, um, in contrary to what people say, actually very humble as well. Oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Now, <laughs> back in 2013, I guess what caught Michael Voris's attention, you had wrote a very detailed critique. Of um, back then, just Robert Barron, now Bishop Robert Barron's his Catholicism series, in which I read it, and, it's, um, and I'll share a link to it on this on this um, in the description box below for people who are watching. It's it's rather long, I think maybe twenty two pages or so, but in it you pointed out a number of really um, you know some good things about the series, especially I remember you commented on what he, him talking about um, the blessed um, mother, um, but so you didn't shred it completely apart, obviously. But for Catholics who have watched that series, and for RCA teachers and people who are involved in faith formation, what are what are some of the things that you notice in that video that, that are probably more subtle that should be areas of, of some concern? Right, right. 
Well, what's interesting is that uh, Baron Catholicism uh, review is actually what convinced Michael to hire me in 2004. He didn't he liked the research, but wow. um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful series. It's a 10 part series. I watched the entire thing. It's um, very nicely produced and it's an objective review. You know, there's not tearing him apart, nothing like that. It's just right. an objective sort of chapter by chapter review of the strengths and the weaknesses. And there were a lot of strengths, you know, I mean, I thought what he said about the Eucharist was beautiful. You know, he said some very beautiful things about the Eucharist and about other aspects of the faith. The problem is, as we all know, Bishop Barron does not like the topic of hell. It makes him extremely uncomfortable. So as you can imagine, in the Catholicism series, he spends about five minutes on hell. That's it. Oh. And then hell is portrayed, yeah. And then hell is portrayed as sort of just this place where you're just kind of depressed. You're just sort of on in the corner, kind of depressed. And, oh. you know, you, which that's really, that's not even close to what hell is, is <laughs> like. Huh. It's just very, you know, I mean, the whole, um, there's a reasonable hope that all men will be saved. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it kind of permeates the whole thing so that you walk away, even though you walk away thinking, okay, the Catholic faith does seem very beautiful. It seems very attractive. Yeah. But, it's not necessary. That's the way that you come you come away from it thinking it's not feeling. It's just another sin. If I feel like going there, but if I can, if I just want to stay here in my mortal sin and whatever, that's okay too. That's the sense you get yeah. when you leave. This yeah. is a tremendous service. That's not evangelism. With evangelism, yeah. you have to right away and let people know right away why you need a savior. You don't yeah. ever get that. You don't get the the understanding that i need a savior because i need to be saved from damnation because if i don't have this that's where i'm headed you don't get that sense anywhere in that unfortunately yeah, that's true there's no sense of necessity of the catholic church in there i do um at my parish i do teach rsa and there are a couple of videos i do share because i think they show a lot of a lot of my students don't know how everyone's catholic in the world they just don't know and so some of the videos do show catholicism is everywhere i never thought about that yet it doesn't it doesn't the video doesn't, um, it's not compelling in that sense. Like, I need to become Catholic. I need to be Catholic. I need the church. It doesn't, yeah, I mean, or Christ, even Christ in a sense, yeah. Exactly. I mean, look, there's a whole world of people out there who are suffering because they don't know our Lord. They're leading lives that make them unhappy. Um, many people in the state of mortal sin, um, mired in sin, who can't get away from it because they're addicted to sin. And so, um, I mean, the, the message of our Lord is he can save us from that. He can free us from that addiction to right. sin. But you must turn to him. Otherwise, you're on the road to perdition. And and that message needs to be made clear by Bishop Barron, by every single bishop in the world, by every priest in the world. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're really hearing that very much from Catholic pulpits today, that this is necessary for your salvation. It's just sort of like, it's kind of nice if you do it and it's good for you and all that. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, yes. It's really sad because I mean, you could you could talk about how things are beautiful all day, but if you don't talk about why what's true, then the beauty is lost, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, most so, recently, I think a lot of people have seen uh, you did a really strong expose on the Society of Saint Pius X, and I was watching it. I, I think I, I, there are a couple of them that I watched. I know you did one recently. I know you're going to talk about that. I haven't seen that one yet, but. Um, but when I was watching, watching them, especially yours, in those interviews you did, um, I, I walked away with the impression, man, this is leaning very heavily into sounding like a cult. Uh, 
I mean, to say the least. Um, I want to get that's your thoughts so on that. And I want to know, do you think that society is a beyond repair at this point? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, people have asked me, people have asked me, what do you want to happen to the society? Um, especially people who have sort of wanted to impugn my motives, thinking that I'm out, I'm out to just destroy and attack the society, which I am not. My entire track record has been as an investigative journalist exposing corruption and abuse anywhere that it's found, anywhere. In fact, I've spent most of my time, most of my career at Church Militant exposing abuse and corruption in the, in the wider Catholic Church, talking about McCarrick, Wuerl, you know, all these people. Um, only now have I started focusing on the SSPX, which is just a drop in the bucket compared to all the, the um, investigative reporting I've done anywhere else. So there's no, you know, I just, I'm just out to destroy them. Totally false. What I think is if anybody truly cares about the SSPX and whether it continues or not, they need to absolutely and unequivocally condemn the abuse and the cover-up and they need to demand accountability from their leaders, meaning those leaders need to kick out all the predators who are still ministering in this society today, many, which I will continue to expose. And then some of these leaders, including Bishop Fillet, who was Superior General for 24 years, they need to admit their, their responsibility and resign in disgrace. I mean, now, they're, they're, I've spoken to many people who either continue to um, attend SSPX parishes or they, they've left because they've been so disillusioned. Yeah. One of them, Dr. John Lamont, a very respected theologian, um, who was for a very long time a defender of the SSPX and friends with Bishop Fillet and all of that, he thinks it's beyond repair. You know, I mean, this is one of the strongest defenders of the SSPX, an insider, and he thinks at this point, because of how deeply entrenched yeah. the abuse reality is and the cover-up and how it reaches yeah. the high levels, he's like, yeah. I think it's beyond repair at this point. Wow. So, yeah. It's, so what are you doing now? This, this new... Um, program that's coming out what was what is that looking at so it's a follow-up spotlight report which okay. continues on the sspx in this one particular uh, episode we focus on the case of father frederick abe okay this is a convicted pedophile he was convicted of child sex crimes in a belgian court in 2017 so it's recent convicted to five years in prison the man has never served a single day in prison he fled belgium he lives a totally free life in Switzerland, not very far from Bishop Fillet, by the way, who also lives in Switzerland. Yeah. Has never served a day in court. For the yeah. first time in this follow-up spotlight, the victim's parents have come forward. They're speaking publicly for the first time. And not only wow. are they detailing the crimes that were committed against their very young sons, one, son, one, one boy as young as six years old, by the way, um, they also talk about how Bishop Fillet deceived them repeatedly. And these were former members of the SSPX who completely trusted Fillet and all the leadership to handle this. And Fillet and others promised them, oh, we will do everything we can to help you. They did the exact opposite. They did everything they could to obstruct justice. I mean, it's, it's a horrible story, but nobody wants to talk about it but church militant because... You know, these, these, many of these SSPX people, they, they refuse to believe that their leaders could be so bad. But it's a, a perfect parallel to the case of Cardinal McCarrick. You know, Cardinal McCarrick was a very powerful, respected Cardinal Catholic Church yeah. for decades. He was close <clears throat> to the Pope. I mean, nobody wanted to believe that he was actually taking seminarians to his beach house in New Jersey and sexually assaulting them. 
They're like, oh, those are just rumors. No, 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 nothing like that. The same response to um, our expose of Bishop Filet, because he was such a power, you know, he was superior general for 24 years. Yeah. And nobody wants to believe that he could possibly be this complicit in the abuse of children. But it's true. It's it's amazing. And yeah, that makes my heart ache hearing that. Now, you know, my my um my Facebook page, uh, a lot of people who follow me, they're going. Uh, they know at times I critique a lot of media organizations for the same reason that I think is very difficult for people in the media sometimes to not be beholden to their source of revenue. Whether it's CNN, whether it's Fox, they cater to their audience. And for some, that same reason, I, I think I've been sometimes critical of Church Militant, but I think what this has shown me, what you've shown me, um, was that you guys, because a lot of SPX people follow you guys, and um, and I apologize, you know, anything I've said about Church Militant, not, um, because you guys seem to be, you're really concerned just about telling the truth, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, who your fans and supporters are. And I think that that's amazing is it is that it is draining for you in any way to oftentimes not all the time but oftentimes have to report about what's wrong on the church rather than what's awesome is that draining in any way it can be it can be tough i have to say that this sspx reporting has probably been the hardest that i've ever had to do because i'm speaking to victims especially after i released my first spotlight in april 22nd i've been just flooded with people from all over the world contacting me saying, you know what, I thought I was the only one. You know, I'm a victim of this SSPX priest or this SSPX prisoner. Nobody wanted to believe me. I was shamed. I was shunned. Um, and they're reaching out to me and I'm talking to many of them. It's heartbreaking for me. It's especially heartbreaking for me when I speak to parents because I'm a mother of four children. Okay. Right. Some of them are young. And as a mother, it's heartbreaking for me to hear all these stories from victims. Um, you know, I have to pray about it. I have to pray for fortitude. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's very difficult. And the only reason that I'm doing this, I'm doing this for them. Because when I, I got so much backlash for the spotlight, a lot mm -hmm. of people just trying to impugn my integrity, impugn my motives, saying that we're funded by some rich donor who hates SSPX. And that's why we're doing this it was utterly false. Yeah, I, uh, I heard that. Yeah, I saw that come across. Yeah. It, there's no funding from anybody at all. Um, or, or, you know, just saying that, you know, I don't have integrity and, you know, just, but I, I shut that all out. And I remember the victims and the people I'm talking to on the phone who are crying either because someone in their family was abused or they were abusing themselves. And I'm doing it for them. I don't care about all this other stuff. If they want to, you know, backlash, whatever, I don't care. I'm doing it for the victims. Because uh, what if it was your child? That's what I want to ask all these people who are criticizing and, and saying we're attacking. What if it was your child? Really think about that. Would yeah. you act this way? Would you defend this? There's no way. So it can be difficult, but at the same time, my back, I, I'm an investigative journalist, so you kind of have to be tough in doing this. That's just my job. I have to be tough because yeah. the, I care more for justice in this instance than that. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're definitely going to pray for you, um, Thank for, you for the work you're doing and for you know your your health. I know I know it's your profession, but definitely I know you you're relying on Christ and His grace to um, you know sustain you and carry you through. So I want to bounce back. Um, talk about the church in the world today, <clears throat> in light of the whole Wuhan virus. 
Um, you know, you were raised by, like you said, you were raised by parents who experienced communism, the worst of it. And I know they told you, they told you a lot about their experience. How do you think the, the how the Catholic Church in in many countries today, in many states, in the United States, how they responded to this whole Wuhan virus? Does that concern you in any way? Uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> I've been really a lot of Catholics have been very ticked off <laughs> by the way bishops around the world have responded to the Wuhan virus. Now, first of all, it should be taken seriously. People, you know, people are dying from it. And so obviously you do have to take precautions. Of course, nobody's minimizing the harms of this. Um, now, granted, it mostly affects a certain population, usually the elderly, people with comorbidities, you know, that underlying. So someone healthy like me and usually children aren't affected, but it's been, I hate to say this, it's been absolutely pathetic the way some bishops have simply rolled over and caved to the government. Didn't even try to fight for, for our rights. Um, you know, because in some cases, clearly constitutional rights are being violated. Yeah. Where you're declaring like alcohol and liquor an essential service, but not going to worship our Lord. You know, <laughs> therefore you can keep the alcohol and liquor stores open, but you can't go to church. I mean, and, and then the bishops just sort of rolled over and said, okay. You know, not, didn't even try to fight for, against that. Now, now some are beginning to. You know, you're seeing lawsuits yeah. here and there, various governors, which is good, but it's a little late. Um, so I think a lot of Catholics are really, really disappointed, and and also uh, this insistence on some bishops to deny the right of certain Catholics to receive Holy Communion on the tongue, which is yeah. guaranteed by universal church law. Right. You know, right. even Bishop Richard Sticka, Richard Sticka, Knoxville, Tennessee. He tweeted that he would throw out, right. he would kick out a church, anyone who insisted on receiving Holy Communion on the tongue. It's unbelievable. He's just doubled down on it. So um, <laughs> I've been very disappointed. I've been disappointed. Yeah, I had no idea that so many of our dioceses were basically just state churches. I mean, just controlled by the state. I mean, that, that's essentially what they, they that, um, their complicity and just being, just cooperating with, with the state. I mean, it's just, it's been amazing. It's been unbelievable <laughs> how governors just tell them what to do and they do it. Mayors just tell them what to do and they do it without any pushback. That's amazing. And I mean, to me, it reveals, we've been t talking for a long time at Church Militant about how we think a lot of bishops act more like administrators than as shepherds. And mm -hmm. how we think a lot of them have just lost their supernatural faith. And yeah. I think this coronavirus thing has revealed that. It's sort of taken the mask off of certain bishops. And they have shown that they really don't seem to have any supernatural faith. And a lot of them just think, okay, well, kind of receiving the Eucharist is kind of a nice symbolic thing, but it's not really necessary. It's like, really? That's not mm -hmm. the Catholic standing. But I think in the eyes of many of these bureaucrats in miters, it is to them. It's just, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a nice gesture where yeah. we can receive Eucharist and be together, but you know, you just to them it doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. It's the actual body and blood of our Lord. Right. And it's so sad because you know a lot, a lot of these bishops um, and even priests they they want to critique, they want to come down on on your organization, Church Militant, but they don't realize that they created you. I mean, you guys would just be happy making happy videos, things like this, <laughs> but they created you, and it, 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 they don't even realize it. It's just, it's, it's funny because they accuse us of causing division. You know, they said, oh, we were so divisive. It's like, wait a second. We're just exposing what you have. Are. You're the one causing the division right. here because you're dissenting from the magisterium. 
it's our job to expose it. We're not the ones causing division. You caused it. We're just exposing it. That's yeah. very true. They created us. And if they want to get us shut up, really, if they want us to right. get us to be quiet, then right. do the right thing. That's, we will stop repeating yeah. You know, yeah, we would love that's to. all they have to do. They just have to do their job. And sure. Church Militant would go make happy videos. You know, it was. <laughs> In fact, that was Michael Voris's intent when he started uh, Real Catholic TV all those years ago. He just mm. wanted to spread the faith. He was just so happy about, you know, his reversion to the faith and the beauties and glories of the Catholic faith. That's all he wanted to do was just teach the faith to the world. And then he started realizing, wait a second, there are people inside the Catholic Church who are actively seeking to destroy this beautiful Catholic faith. I've got to start looking at what's... And so that's when the focus began to change. We would love to take the focus away from that and go back to right. just teaching the glories of the Catholic faith. Right, right, right. That's amazing. Now, you, you talked a little bit about what we learned about um, the church itself. What do, you, what do you think during this whole... Um, this period here, we've the faithful have learned about themselves? Um, I think I was actually surprised to see how many Catholics um, how many Catholics got upset with their bishops like pre Catholics who previously had been sort of maybe a little bit lukewarmer and different but during this time of crisis they were deprived of the sacraments and how strongly they yearned for our Lord how much they missed him and then how upset they were that their bishops and priests weren't fighting for them you know that in fact they were cooperating with the government to deny them access to the sacraments, even with social distancing and, you know, sanitation, all that stuff, still denying them the sacraments. You know, it, it was sort of incomprehensible to many of these sort of just average run-of-the-mill run Catholics. How could they betray us this way? A lot of Catholics feel that way. Um, but I think one of the benefits of being deprived of the sacraments for us as Catholics is it makes us more grateful. You know, I mean, I hope that when we come back, and start resuming masses all over the place that we we are truly grateful for the gift of the holy eucharist because yeah. unfortunately many people are receiving our lord sacrilegiously many yeah. people don't believe in the real presence or they haven't confessed mortal sins they're receiving him in, in not a state of grace in a state of mortal sin um I, i'm really hoping that there will be a renewal of faith you know when we come back a, a renewed gratitude for our lord and for the sacraments all of that yeah yeah thanks for that christine now is the part of the show that I call five questions and five answers. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time with them. And um, I hope I can catch you off guard. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. First question is rather easy. Maybe what is your favorite part of the liturgy of the Mass? Oh, you mean like like other than receiving Holy Communion? Because that's hands down my favorite. That's, that's, that's your favorite. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, some I don't know. Some people may say the sign of peace. I don't know. That's good. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Shaking. Uh, <laughs> <I can't hold. laughs> All right. What is the last present that you bought, Michael Vores? The last present, probably, probably dark chocolate. I can't remember when, but he loved dark chocolate. So okay. I think one day, I, I think, yeah, probably dark chocolate. All right. <laughs> if you were not living in Michigan, where would you be living? Oh, gosh, that's hard. Um, oh, dear. Probably Paris. I love, oh. I love, I love France. I'm French Vietnamese. Okay. Paris. That makes sense. That makes sense. The last book you read. Last book. I read. Um, let's see. I'm actually reading 
what is the last book I read? I can't remember the title, but it's, it's a um, book, a Catholic perspective of world history. I can't remember the title, but it's a very, very, um, very interesting book. Mm -hmm. Nice. And if you could live on any other planet, which planet would it be? Assuming that they're all habitable, which planet would it be? <laughs> which planet? Oh, gosh. Um, I have no idea. Venus, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm just happy. I'm I guess I'm just glad you didn't say Uranus because that would have been awkward. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christine Niles, thanks for coming on Talking Catholic. We're glad to have you here, and uh, it was great meeting you. Thank you. It was very fun. Thanks, David. God bless you and all your work. Thank you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. <laughs>